I am not an expert. I've never published a book or taught a class. I've never even put anything in a quilt show. But I love quilting, and I love talking about quilting. I make a lot of mistakes, but I like to think that sometimes I learn from them and get just a little bit better. If hearing about someone else's goofs and mess-ups makes you feel better about yours, then I've done my job. Join me as we talk about quilting for the rest of us. Hey, I'm Sandy, and I'm a quilter, and I had to put together this uh, podcast in pieces <laughs> this week, sort of like uh, Francis's quilt diaries, although mine are more... Um, they're not components by chronology. They are components by section. Um, unfortunately, I ended up being insanely busy this week, far beyond what I expected. I wasn't home um, Tuesday or Wednesday night. I got home a little bit later tonight than I um, had expected. I've had conference calls at 9 o'clock every night this week for something for work. Uh, the hazard of being a national organization is us on the East Coast have these insanely late conference calls to accommodate people on the West Coast who are trying to rush home from work to get on them. So, you know, there's no perfect solution for that. But it's been a very busy week. Um, and so I decided I had a choice of either trying to catch five minutes here and there to uh, record parts of the podcast and then just put it all together at the end or maybe be late again. And I'm really trying to be um, much more scheduled about the way I post my podcast episodes. So I'm hoping this works. Um, I've told Frances that she has a real gift for being able to do the quilt diaries thing without really repeating herself. I can't do that. When I do quilt diaries, when I try to, to uh, record in segments like that, I inevitably end up saying the same thing over and over and over again because I just can't for the life of me remember what I said the time before. So what I've done this time is, as I had promised, I did have more book reviews that I wanted to share with you. So periodically this week, I have just recorded a book review, and then I'm going to put them all together for the content of this episode. So right now, I'm going to give you my Sandy update and um, a little bit of stuff I have found online that I wanted to point out for you, and we'll do listener comments, and then uh, you will get the book reviews. And this time, there are four of them or five, depending on how you count it. So um, I'm going to have to record this relatively quickly because I've got to get ready for another one of those conference calls. Um, my Sandy update, I have not done because of the aforementioned schedule. I've not gotten into a lot of actual sewing done, but I've done a lot of prep work. Uh, the first thing is I did drop off my nephew's quilt. That's the flannel stack and slash that I decided I was going to give him for Christmas. I dropped it off with my long arm quilter, Andrea. Actually, we sort of did, you know, it was a drop in a parking lot. I'd like to say it was a dark parking lot at, you know, wee hours of the morning, but actually it was bright, sunny day, beautiful weather. Um, I had to meet her where she works so I could drop it off to her on my way off to something else, and she was wonderfully accommodating to let me do that. Uh, so she thinks she'll probably have that back to me within a couple of weeks, and meanwhile, I am madly trying to get my other niece's quilt, the last one I'm, I've got to get done for a Christmas present. I'm trying to get that cut and pieced. Right now I've got it about, oh, probably only a quarter cut, but the cutting does not take that long. That quarter that I got cut only took me maybe half an hour to do. It's not going to take me that long to cut because they're all pretty straightforward pieces. Um, and I don't think it's going to take that much to piece either. The, the quilt that I'm making for my niece is, I talked about it this summer, I believe, in the episode in which I visited the quilt foundry. I think that's where I talked about this pattern because that's where I bought it. The pattern is um, five yard something. <laughs> I'm sorry. You'll have to go back and listen to that episode because I have none of this sitting in front of me right now for reference. Um, it's 
a line of patterns that all require five yards of fabric to piece. I think that's only the front. The backing is going to be more. But you use um, a yard each of five different prints and or five different fabrics. And so I had bought several fabrics. And as it turns out, they are all from the same line. I wasn't positive if I'd gotten them all from the same line. They are from P&B Textiles Sausalito line. And it's a wonderful, I love the colors. They're sort of the spa blue and the kind of beiges and slight gray um, on a cream background. Very beachy or spa-like. Um, and my niece loves California. She's been out there a couple times and, you know, she's kind of a transplanted California girl. So this the colors will be perfect for her. Uh, the only struggle I'm having a little bit with the fabric is it's um, it's created to look almost linen-y. It's not linen, but it's got that kind of a texture and feel to it, which means it's got a slightly looser weave, which means it's very, very hard to keep it square. So you're basically cutting strips and then cutting those strips down into squares for a significant portion of the pieces. And I had to keep going back and re-squaring up the strips much more frequently than I usually do when I'm cutting strips. And it really is, I find, you know, at first I thought, what am I doing? Was I messing up? Was I just not paying attention? And I feel, finally realized, no, it really is the fabric itself. Um, the fabric itself just kind of likes to shimmy, which maybe that's a Sausalito thing. Um, but it's still, I mean, it's still a gorgeous fabric and having to square up each pair, square as I go, it's, you know, slowing me up a little bit, but it's not overly obnoxious. So I can live with that. Um, and yes, I did starch the heck out of the fabric. Once I realized, once I cut the first set and realized that was what was going on, I really doused the rest with my Mary Ellen's Best Press and, you know, starched the hay out of it. So hopefully it'll behave a little bit better. Um, I'm really hoping to have that pieced by early next week because I need to also give that to Andrea for long arming. Um, I decided to just cut myself some slack this season. I want to get these two done. And so I'm more than happy to use a long arm quilter, as they say, quilting by check. Um, she has gifts and talents. And why don't we showcase them in my quilts? I have no problem with that. Uh, the other thing I'm working on um, with a little more desperation <laughs> is I've got um, homework for my design study group, although I'm a little less panicked than I was because I had stuck in my head all week that my next design study group meeting was Tuesday, and I had stuck in my head that this was my last weekend, and I've got a ton of stuff going on this weekend, and I was thinking there is no way I'm going to get this done, and so I looked at the calendar and realized, oh, wait, <laughs> design study group isn't for another full week. Um so although I'm going to be out of town for part of next week, I will still be around for the weekend. So I think I should be able to get most, if not all of it done. So um, that's going to be kind of fun. I, I can't really talk much more about the homework because it would not make any sense for you whatsoever until I post pictures. But our um, what we're studying this week is balance. So we're, we have to do the homework is doing four pieces that exhibit different four different types of balance. Um, and so part of it is deciding which types of balance I'm going to do. Um, there's three that we have to do and then one that we can pick of a variety of them. And so I think I now know which ones I'm going to do. You have to choose a single shape um, and then use that shape throughout. So, you know, you've got some consistency. So it took a little while to decide the shape. And then darn it, it took me a long time to figure out how to draw the shape. But I think I finally tackled that earlier today while I was waiting for some stuff to upload on my computer. And it was getting futzy at me when I tried to do anything else on the computer while it was uploading. So I finally just walked away, and let it alone to do its business. And I went over and finally got that thing drawn while it was uploading. Um, 
So anyway, that's what I've been doing is a whole lot of prep work as usual and no finishes as usual. Eventually, I'm going to have a boatload of finishes all at once, and that will feel so good. Uh, what did I find online? I don't even know how I stumbled across this. I was on some other blog, but it's not a blog I follow. I was just there. I don't know why. <laughs> anyway, I was on a, a quilt-related blog, and um, they had you know a series of buttons along the side, and one of them was something I'd never seen before, so I clicked on it and went and visited. And it's a website called Stash... Stash... <laughs> I am never going to be able to say this. It's a tongue twister. StashSlash.com. StashSlash.com. And it's basically an online garage sale. Um, you can go, if you are looking to offload fabric or patterns or books or tools or anything um, fabric related, and it's not only quilting, it's um, sewing and upholstery, you know, garment sewing, upholstery, crafty, uh, all sorts of that kind of stuff. Um, you can buy anything you want on the site without having to actually become a member of the site. If you do want to sell things, there's a small membership fee. And I believe it's like they're running a special now. It's like a $5 membership fee until January or something like that. And then after that, it's $20 or something like that. Don't quote me on it because I wasn't interested in selling. I didn't spend a lot of time exploring the selling end of things. Um, but I did go in and look at what kinds of things you could buy. And I did see a bunch of fabric. There were a lot of books. There were even like pieced quilt tops um, that people had done and just presumably had lost interest in. I didn't look at them closely enough to see if they were really wonked or not. <laughs> but um, there were some, there were a couple of piece quilt tops that I almost thought, oh, that would actually be kind of fun to finish that. And then I looked at my own UFOs and decided I had no right to even be thinking that. Um, there were also scraps, a lot of scraps. There were individual blocks or um, groups of blocks that were being sold. I mean, just a lot of stuff up there. It was really interesting. I did see a few fabrics that caught my eye. Um, one I, I even almost had in my cart. It was several yards of a fabric that would have made a really nice backing, um, actually, for some of the projects I've got coming up. And it was only something like $3 a yard. But again, I decided I have enough fabric on my um, shelf and for some of the projects, I don't care what the back looks like. Nobody would ever see the back, so I can use up some of the other fabrics that I've got. Uh, so I have no business buying any more fabrics, even at only $3 a yard. But I did want to let you guys know about it, um, because you may well want to go visit and check it out. Again, that's um, HTTPS colon slashy slashy stash slash dot com. Or if you just Google stash slash, <laughs> I cannot say that, um, you'll be good. So I wanted to let you know about that. Now, listener comments, um, you know what happens when you whine? You get your way. <laughs> Isn't that nice? Any of you who are children who are out there, don't whine. You're only allowed to start whining, I don't know, when you start paying your own rent, <laughs> I guess. Um, but when I whined about not giving very many comments, boom, I get comments. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Um, thank you to Colleen, who commented on, actually, on my photo of my dog that I posted on Flickr um, that I just labeled doofus because he's got a really goofy expression on his face. And Colleen asked if my poor dog was really named doofus. <laughs> and I had to say, no, not really. But you would almost think because we call him doofus on a regular basis. And I believe I said something like, you know, a dog that shakes himself and clonks his head on the coffee table in the process really is the walking definition of doofus. <laughs> so, but I also said he's a very sweet dog. I would never trade him in. Um, 
Thank you so much to Merumo for um, emailing me after I commented on her blog. We have missed her. She's been very, very busy and getting a new job, but she's getting slowly back into blogging. So uh, looking forward to seeing a lot more finishes from you, Merumo, and getting more comments again. Welcome back. <laughs> uh, thank you to Victoria for a uh, comment on episode 66, in which we go on retreat that I posted last week. Um, and she said, says, thanks for the other product reviews, too. We know we can trust other quilters to keep us on the straight and narrow by their reviews. And that is Victoria of Peacebrook Quilting Podcast. And Victoria is a woman who knows. So if, you know, if you weren't too sure you were going to take my word on the Lintot Sampler book and the 4590 Creative Grids ruler, if Victoria says it's good, it must be so. So listen to Victoria. Thank you for um, supporting me in my likes and dislikes. Thank you to Maureen, who also posted on the same episode. And she says, each March, five quilty friends and her rent a quilt retreat house from Thursday to Sunday. Um, in 2012, they're going to, I'm never going to say this right. So be prepared. New Glarus, Wisconsin. I have never even heard of that. And I've spent some time in Wisconsin. New Glarus, G-L-A-R-U-S. So you got to tell me about the location. Never heard of it. Um, and they each, they share making meals and of course, snacks and chocolate. And they, she says they each do their own project and usually fit in a trip to the local quilt shop. Way too much fun. That would be a fun way to do a retreat, too. I dream of doing, you know, just a small retreat with a few friends. I think that would be a lot of fun. And in fact, one of my mom's quilty friends owns a B&B. &B, so my dream is actually to invade her B&B. &B. She has periodically had the quilty friends over for their quilt retreat. And I always get invited and I'm rarely able to actually go because it's always on a weekend. I can't make it. Um, but I usually try to go down and at least get there for dinner. Um, but that is a really wonderful experience, Maureen, and I'm jealous. So when you go in 2012, you're going to have to make sure you send us pictures. Um, Maureen also loves her Rowenta Compact Iron. That was the uh, travel iron I reviewed in my last episode, and she says she loves hers. And watch for sales at Joann's. Most of the time, the Compact Rowenta is excluded, but every once in a while, it's included. Um, she is also, like me, has replaced almost all of her rulers with creative grid rulers, and she really likes the narrow lines for measuring and the holes for hanging. She has put Invisigrip on the back of hers. I have not found that I needed it on mine. I do have Invisigrip on the back of one of my regular, my other rulers, um, and that really does help. If you're not familiar with Invisigrip, it's basically... Um, a plastic that you just slap on the back. Well, you have to kind of smooth it out on the back of your ruler, and then it holds it to the fabric it well as well. It provides some of that um, kind of grippy feeling, but it uh, it's see-through, so it does not affect your ability to see your lines at all. You cut it to size of the ruler. It comes in rolls. So I also do recommend Invisigrip. Thank you very much for Maureen to bringing that up. That's a great tool to have as well. Um, oh, Francis from um, the, uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> I almost said from Quilting for the Rest of Us. No, that's me. Identity issue. Sorry. Francis from the Off Kilter Quilt podcast uh, posted a comment that she looked for the, on the Taste of Home website for the pumpkin soup recipe that I had talked about, but she couldn't find it. And she asked if I could send her the link. Well, Francis, that's because I'm sure you were looking for the very plebeian name of soup. And in reality, it is a much more sophisticated bisque. <laughs> I have no idea what the difference between a soup and a bisque is. I assume it's soup you slurp and bisque you eat with your pinky in the air. Uh, but anyway, when I looked it up, because I thought, really, I thought it was on that website. It's um, actually pumpkin bisque, 
B-I-S-Q-U-E, bisque. Um, <laughs> and it's, uh, what's it called? Pumpkin bisque with smoked gouda. So I'm sure if you use the appropriately snooty title of Pumpkin Bisque, you will find it. But if not, I will post the link on the website. It's really, really tasty. And by the way, anybody from my guild who is listening to this, you are not allowed to download the recipe until after our Christmas dinner. <laughs> um, anyway, okay. Um, back to uh, read uh, listener comments. Lori left a comment um, on my blog post about the attack of the yo-yos that she has been so into yo-yos lately and she's looking forward to seeing what I am going to do with these. And I don't know if this is the lorry from my guild or if it's another lorry. There are many lorries in my life. If this is the lorry from my guild, you probably aren't going to see it until like, you know, February or March because it's going slow. Um, everybody else, you'll see it whenever I get it posted to the blog. Amy, a redeemed sheep, um, said, thanks for the mention on your podcast. I had mentioned her blog on my last podcast. And she thanked me for sharing what she's doing with the yo-yos. And I shared some great ideas. And like I said, there are a lot of things you can do with yo-yos. So pay attention. Um, Lori, could be the same Lori, spelled the same way. Also left a comment on my um, blog entry about fabric mysteriously appearing on my shelves. She says, uh-huh, just keeps showing up. I happen to know exactly what you mean. And she had the same thing happen when some fabric jumped from a local quilter's design studio to her sewing table. And I do know that's the same Lori from my guild because I know the person she's talking about. And Noni, we all love Noni because somehow Noni manages to do it all. No idea how. She is one of the few podcasters who started her own podcast and still leaves comments on other people's comment on other people's podcasts. I always almost get pouty when I hear that one of my listeners has started their own podcast because generally speaking, that means I never hear from them again. But I can't speak to that because I rarely post on other people's blogs either. I'm still listening. I just often don't get the time to get over there and comment. But Noni does not leave us in the lurch. She always comments. Thank you, Noni. Um, Noni did say the Gouda soup sounds good. She loves retreats. She also has the so easy table. And if you remember, I mentioned that I didn't know if that was something you would actually use every day. Um, Noni does use it every other day. She has no other table to use and she absolutely loves it. Um, so that's another uh, support of the recommendation of the so easy table and that she can indeed, um, you can indeed use it as your everyday quilting table, a sewing table, if that's what you want to do. Um, she also says, it talks about the jelly roll quilts. And when I talked about not having the same level of contrast that I would like, she did say that um, she always puts a solid jelly roll with the print so that she gets the contrast I love and need for my peace of mind, as she says. So I get the contrast I love and need for my peace of mind. Um, and she calls the stack and whack blocks that I was talking about, she calls wonky nine patch. That's what they call them in their area. And she also says they're really fun and fast and they just need some great fabrics and it's done. And in fact, they are perfect for great fabrics because they show up in large pieces. So um, the stack and whack, AKA wonky nine patch would be a great way to use some of those really big prints. You would need to offset it with, um, you know, solids or plaids or small print um, or tone on tones or something to balance out the big prints, but it would be, really be an actually an excellent way to use the big print fabrics. Um, Noni actually left me two comments. She also um, got, oh, she got the book I had mentioned on stitch uh, embroidery that she just loves it. Um, and I had sent out a reminder to folks who were on the, um, who had 
done the Quilting for the Rest of Us 2011 Quilty Resolutions, uh, and I had put together a spreadsheet months and months and months ago in Google, but I wasn't able to get everybody added, so I apologize. For some reason, Google got really weird with me. Um, but I had sent out a reminder a few days ago to everybody that had been able to get on it and said, hey, how are you doing on your resolutions? And Jill got back to me and she said, thanks for the reminder. Eck, not doing as well as I'd hoped, but better than I thought. At least my stash has gotten smaller. Um, so thank you, Jill. So thank you, everybody, for your comments. Um, hopefully I didn't miss any. By the way, Maureen, I think you had commented last week and somehow I missed saying thank you. So thank you, Maureen. Um, on the Quilting for the Rest of Us Facebook page, I am on the verge of going over to a nice round number. So I'm trying to get people to like the page just so I can see that nice round number only because I'm that kind of person. Um, and I think that's really all I want to say today, because once I throw the uh, book reviews on here, this is going to be a nice length of an episode. So that's what we're going to do. Uh, when I will come back at the end, I guess, and put in my contact information. And then other than that, I will uh, see you next week. Not sure what day I'm going to post because I'm going to be out of town for business Tuesday to Thursday. So it kind of depends on how that all works out. Um, and I will also report that Jay and I are finally narrowing in on our next conversation. And she is ready and raring to go. And she's already prepping the one after that. So I think we'll have two in fairly quick succession. So don't forget to be doing your homework for that as well if you are participating. So I guess I won't say go get your quilty on yet because we'll do that at the end. This book review is of Another Bite of Schnibbles, 24 Quilts from 5-inch or 10-inch squares by Carrie Nelson. And as you know, huge Carrie Nelson fan. Well, you know that if you've been listening to my podcast for any length of time at all. If this is your first episode, guess what? I'm a big fan of Carrie Nelson. I love her for the same reason I love Melissa Ray Hawley and a couple of other designers that they are very good at taking pretty simple patterns that when they finish up, they look more complex. So they're really something that beginners can tackle and feel really good about themselves. In her book, she also has some um, that might be considered, I don't know, they're certainly not advanced. She has no advanced patterns in here. Um, some that might be edging a little bit more towards intermediate only because they involve potentially bias edge type things. Um, but even at that, any, I guess what they would call confident beginners would have no problem with it. Um, again, this is a follow-up to her other Schnibbles book, so it's the same basic premise. Each design is made first with 10-inch squares, and then the same design shown um, smaller, made with 5-inch squares, and she does all the math, etc. for you. The designs are lovely, as always. I love her designs. Um, and I would say they definitely lean more in the realm of traditional rather than modern, but, um, you know, who cares? I don't care. Certainly, I don't care. I'll make anything. Uh, and they are, you know, the, the fabrics are just lovely, but they're currently contemporary fabrics. You know, 10 years from now, I will take this book off my shelf and say, oh, well, that's dated because in 10 years from now, it'll be all different fabric trends. Um, but that's what's fun about quilting. We get to keep playing with always new fabrics. The thing I like best, though, about Carrie Nelson, you know, I love her designs, love the way her book is set out. The directions are always very clear, well illustrated, easy to follow. I love her writing style. She is just a hoot. It tickles my funny bone. Again, I think I said this with my review of her first Schnibbles book, that um, she is the first one that I ever sat down with a quilt book and actually read through all of the introduction material and basic quilt making <laughs> instructions uh, word for word. Because obviously I usually skip all that now because I know it. 
pretty well. But hers, they are just fun to read. So even if you've been quilt making for 30 years, I don't care, sit down and read her introduction and her basic quilt making um, part, her section, because they are just fun. So for example, in this, she starts out um, with the introduction is actually called A Field Guide to Schnibbles. And she starts out with Quiltus schnibbulus. In scientific terms, a schnibbles quilt is a unique species of quilt, um, one that is defined by several very distinct characteristics. Okay, that's not true, but you can't fault a girl for trying. <laughs> That's her, her very first paragraph. I love it. Um, so she talks about what is a schnibble, what goes into a schnibble's quilt. She does expand a little bit on the, the theme here in this book, uh, beyond her first book. And the first one was pretty much straight up layer cakes and charm packs. And for you newbies out there who may be just entering into the world of quilter terminology, layer cakes are collections of 10-inch squares that have been put together, generally speaking, by fabric manufacturers, sometimes by quilt shops. Um, and then the charm packs are the five inch squares. In this book, she goes on to include other um, variations that have started to come out on those two concepts, the layer cake and the five inch, uh, the charm packs. She also deals with what's called 10 squares, which actually I hadn't heard of before. It's basically a layer cake by another name because layer cakes are specific to moda. And so nobody else is allowed to use the term layer cake. <laughs> so Robert Kaufman Fabrics apparently calls them 10 squares. And then um, Timeless Treasures has Tonga Treats. And she goes through and is very specific about what that means, how many fabrics each one tends to contain, etc. And then she does the same thing with Charm Packs and Twice the Charm. And I had not seen Twice the Charm Rolls. Maybe I've seen them and just didn't know what I was looking at. But Twice the Charm Rolls are by RJR Fabrics, and they are... Each piece mad, uh, measures five and a half inches by 21 inches. Each piece of fabric will yield four squares. So one twice the charm roll with 40 different fabrics is equivalent to four charm packs, which is good to know because as you know, I've grossed before about patterns that require four charm packs. And now I know all I have to do is find one roll of RJR fabrics and I am good to go. Um, but obviously then, of course, you can add in from your own stash as well or use your own scraps. And she does give you some tips about that. For example, with a few exceptions, one fat quarter is equivalent to three 10-inch squares and that kind of thing. So she gives you some other information that would be very useful for um, converting her patterns from using straight up charm packs or layer cakes or whatever to using fabrics from your own stash and, and being able to kind of pull from other places. Even if you do use a layer cake, you may decide you want to swap out some fabric with with stuff that you've already got on hand. Um, she also talks about the care and feeding of pre-cuts, as she refers to it, and whether or not to wash her first or not, and also about bias edges and straight of grain. And she deals, again, in this book, like she did in the first one, with the problem that a lot of layer cakes and charm packs come with pinked edges, and what does that mean in terms of where you start your measuring from. She dealt with that in the first book. She deals with it, I think, even a little bit more so here, a little more specifically here. So that was really good to see. She talks about, you know, her basic kind of quilt making instructions is very specific to this book. So she does talk about chain piecing and strip piecing, um, but she does give some tips that are kind of specific to working with these kinds of pre-cuts and pressing. And then she does talk about different types of units you're going to be creating. She has a section that she calls special tricks in terms of how to deal with um, seams where they all come together and clipping seams and then of course um, you know backing and batting and binding and all that kind of good stuff. 
And then most of the book is the patterns themselves. And I think I've already said about them, love them all, primarily traditional, but she, um, she mixes up a little bit what she's doing, like with color placement and value placement. So although they're traditional, they're not like staunchly traditional. Definitely have a bit more of a modern flair to them. So, you know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you which of my favorite patterns are because it doesn't really matter. You might like the same ones. You might like different ones. What I will say is I love this book. Uh, certainly, if you liked the first Schnibbles book, you will like this one as well. It does feel, you know, the designs are different. Um, she does change it up a little bit, but it's still got the same feel to it. And if you have not experienced a Carrie Nelson book, might I suggest you try it. You will be better for it. So again, another bite of Schnibbles, 24 quilts from 5 or 10 inch squares, brand spankin' new out on the market by Carrie Nelson, uh, published by that patchwork place, if I should say that. Uh, highly recommended. Love it. Can't wait to make something from it, but I have a few projects I need to get off my shelves first. So that's my review of that book, Another Bite of Schnibbles. I will put the links on the show notes to this episode. All right, this time I'm reviewing a book named Threads, The Basic and Beyond, The Complete Visual Guide to Thread Techniques and Creativity. That's a mouthful, but from now on, we're just going to refer to it as Threads or Threads, The Basics and Beyond. It is by Debbie Bates and Liz Kettle. And this book was recommended um, at the thread painting class I took last May at our retreat. That's a past episode. You'll have to dig because I didn't to find out which one that is. But in any case, I took a class on thread painting and the teacher recommended this particular book. And then um, pretty much I think everybody in the class ended up buying it afterwards and we've all been raving about it. It is, um, first of all, I love the way the book is printed. It's a hardcover book but it's got a spiral bind inside. So it sits very nicely on your shelf because sometimes, you know, when you've got spiral bound books and the spiral is exposed, it just gets all tangled up with everything else on your shelf and it's a real pain. This one, then that spiral binding is um, encased in the hardcover. So it lays nicely it, um, on your desk. It opens wide, but it does sit nice on your shelf too. So that's a big thumbs up for me. Um, this book really, truly does have just about everything you need to know about thread <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, but before you think, yeah, I don't want to know that so much about thread, let me tell you what this can benefit you. Um, it, first of all, it starts out with all the different kinds of threads that there are. And you'll hear me flipping the pages as I review, as usual, because I do need to refresh my memory. So it goes through a section where it talks about different types of threads, polyester, cotton, rayon, silk, wool, etc. And it talks a little bit about um, what kinds of things each type of thread would be appropriate for, um, most useful for. It also gives a little bit of hints and tips about, you know, how best to use them on your machine um, to reduce breakage, that kind of thing. Talks about specialized thread. And it also talks about thread weight in terms of when you might want to use different weights of thread. It talks a little bit about storage as well. Then it moves on to the passport. And the recommendation is that as you start experimenting with thread and different types of thread designs and thread uses, you create yourself basically a sample book and they call it a passport. And it's, um, each individual page then has samples on it and they describe how to put this together, how to make the pages, how to hold them together. And that it's really a fairly detailed description um, of maybe three pages, I guess, 
all together on that. I have not done that. I haven't gotten to that level of experimentation yet where I really want to keep track of what I'm doing. Um, but I can absolutely see where that would be very useful to do. And their method of putting it together is really pretty simple. So not a hard thing to do. So if you're into trying to keep track of what you're doing, definitely you want to look at putting together some sort of a sample book or, as it's called here, a passport. Of course, then it also goes into different kinds of equipment and tools and sewing needles, hand sewing needles, machine sewing needles. They do have, again, a nice chart about needle sizes and uses. They talk about marking tools and embellishments and all that kind of thing. So the whole nine yards. A nice little section on fusible webs and stabilizers with some helpful information there. It talks about a stitch dictionary. It has you know, free motion stitching and garnet stitch and invisible hem stitch and stipple and meander and triple stitch and program decorative stitches and satin stitches so that you kind of know the terminology that they're using as they go into it. Then they get into a section about nuts and bolts. It's a set of exercises to help you develop some tools. Then you get into different types of stitches and it talks about edge finishes. And then it does go into techniques, as you would expect from a book like this. What I liked about the technique section was that it also gives you ideas for how to quilt your quilts. So, for example, it talks about quilting out of the ditch, and it gives you some ideas of even what I also really liked was looking at how to use my decorative stitches on my machine in quilting itself. And, you know, for whatever reason, I hadn't really thought about that. You always think straight line, you know, the this regular straight running stitch, but then you think about how you move your, you know, you, you do it as a meander, you do it as a stipple. Well, if you do just a straight grid stitch, but you use a decorative stitch to do it, how much more interesting is that? So that was a neat place for me to kind of look through and say, oh, well, I hadn't really thought about doing that. That's kind of a cool idea. And they do a lot with that, a lot of different kind of decorative stitches used in kind of traditional quilting ways. Um, they do also talk about tacking and tying quilts a little bit. And then they get into the free motion. There's really, there's so much in this book, I can't go through every single step in it. Um, I will say that there were some particular features I really liked, like it did talk about in the section where it talks about using your different decorative stitches in quilt designs and such. It does talk about things like how different quilt designs can also be emotive. So it's not just a straight technique. It does talk, it address it from a design perspective as well. It talks about applique entrepunto and sewing with very heavy thread, thread painting, thread and media, thread as texture, hand stitching, machine stitching, specialized threads, specialized techniques, ribbonry, that's using ribbon or ribbon embroidery, um, beading, and other embellishments. I mean, this really, pretty much anything about thread, it's in this book. I would give it on my five-star rating, I would give this really five out of five. If you are at all interested in looking at um, thread kind of from the next level, more than just, okay, I'm piecing a quilt and then I'm stitching in the ditch. Even stitching in the ditch, you could feasibly do some kind of interesting stuff if you know what's going on with your thread. So I would highly recommend this book. Again, I will put the link on the show notes to this episode. Uh, this is a really, really good one. This is probably one of my favorite new reference books um, that I've bought in a while. Again, that's Threads, The Basic and Beyond, The Complete Visual Guide to Thread Techniques and Creativity by Debbie Bates and Liz Kettle. Okay, this book review is actually of two books in one. Two, two in one, it's a bargain. 
I am reviewing at the same time America's Printed Fabrics, 1770 to 1890, and the second book, Making History, Quilts and Fabric from 1890 to 1970. And both of those books are by Barbara Brackman. Barbara Brackman is sort of the diva of the historical quilting world. Uh, you will often hear appraisers, um, quilt appraisers, making reference to her books and so forth. These are actually the first Barbara Brackman books I've owned because I'm not a quilt appraiser. <laughs> so some of the other books were a little more in-depth than I really felt the need to be. But these two books are really, really wonderful overviews of sort of the history of fabric, the history of um, fashion, mostly in quilting world, but also obviously a lot of these fabrics are also upholstery fabrics and clothing fabrics, so there's a lot of overlap between them. But it's all placed in the context of American history, and it's just really, really fascinating reading. Um, both of the books are set up very much the same way. The first book states, um, right in the introduction, the purpose of this book is twofold, to give you insight into how fabric has affected the look of the 19th century American quilt, and to show you how to make use of today's reproductions to interpret antique quilts. So basically, it's not only historical it's historical knowledge, but it's also, if you're really into the repro fabrics, this would be an excellent resource for you to have, because it'll show you kind of how best to really um, try to emulate those patterns, those those trends, and those styles. If you're a modern quilter, I would think you would also find a lot to uh, learn from these in terms of, again, fabric history. It's always good to know where we've been <laughs> as to understand where we're going. That's kind of my premise in life, is I like to know history. Um, not that I'm then really bound to it, but knowing it makes it easier for me to then move ahead. And you can honor your past while still looking ahead to the future. It's That's kind of the balance I try to keep in a lot of stuff I do. Uh, these books also... Um, give you some ideas as to how to train yourself to recognize antique fabrics as well. So although reading these books won't automatically turn you into an appraiser, that is a much more um, extensive process. And to learn more about that, you can go back and listen to, oh, it was in the tens somewhere, my episode in which I interviewed Beth Davis, who is a quilt appraiser and has in fact appraised several of my antique quilts as well. Um, a fascinating job. Fascinating job. If any of you are interested in antique quilts, historical quilts, um, fabrics, that kind of thing, you might want to go back and listen to that episode if you haven't already and see what it's like to become an appraiser. But for those of us who are not appraisers, uh, these these two books are really wonderful resources. I'm, like I said, I'm not a reproduction fabric person. Um, I appreciate other people that use them in quilts. It's just not where my personal style is at the moment, although my personal style tends to be all over the place. So who knows? You know, next year I might make a repro quilt. I don't know. Um, but I do, again, I'd like to know the history, and particularly in these books because the history of fabric is so intertwined with um, American history and and understanding the cultural context that was going on at the time is just really, really fascinating. These books include, um, in addition to a little bit of the history and talking about the fabrics themselves, they do include quotations from diaries and letters, um, catalogs, all sorts of images, and it really helps you understand the role of fabric and quilts in people's lives. So it's very, very interesting from that perspective as well. Uh, each one, it kind of, they are segmented by a period of history. So it kind of each book then takes you through the decades that the book title uh, sets out. 
Um, there's a historical section that includes photos of fabrics and quilts and it talks about manufacturing processes because obviously the the uh, role of manufacturing in fabric has a huge impact on the colors that are used and the types of patterns that are used and um, how well fabric withstands time and all of those kinds of things. And again, I really loved the fact, probably my favorite thing about this book is setting things in the historical context. I I would, I'm a history buff, so I would have loved to have more than that, but it still, you know, it really kind of does. For example, I'm I'm looking at the chapter right now, um, The Fabric of Young America, 1840 to 1865. That's, of course, in the first of the two volumes I'm reviewing, uh, America's Printed Fabric, 1770 to 1890. And it talks about, it starts out with a a story of two, um, I believe these are sisters. Yes, I believe they're sisters. It just gives a little story about these two girls' lives. And then it talks about um, north and south and diverging paths and what that had to do with the economy and the availability of textiles. And so it really puts everything into context and it's just fascinating. I guess I've said that several times. It's just fascinating. It has, each section has, um, I think each section, at least several of them have a, a thing called learning lessons from the past, which offers some design considerations that you learn from antique quilts. So again, it's a great example of you can learn something from anything you look at. Even if you're not a big fan of antique quilts, you can pick tips up from looking at the quilts and, and looking at the way they use colors or the way that they use layouts or the way that they kind of combine blocks or whatever. Um, you can always learn. And so she really highlights that in those sections. And then each section has a quilt pattern that's somehow related to that section. Sometimes they're based on historical designs, or sometimes they're modern updates of historical designs, or sometimes it's really kind of a neither. It's just a pattern that she, or a design that she feels really sets off uh, certain fabrics from that era, because of course fabric changes over time. Sometimes the prints are larger, sometimes smaller, different types of prints, etc. So different design really um, highlights those differences. I could go on and on and on about these books. <laughs> but I won't. I will again say these books are really good for anybody that's interested in history in general, anybody that's interested in textile history, anybody that's interested in quilt history, or anybody that's just interested in design. Again, you can really pick up a lot from reading this. I I loved these books. Absolutely loved them. Give them both a five out of five. I'm actually still reading them. Again, they're not a fast, they're not something you're going to thumb through in an evening and find five patterns you want to make. It's something you really need to spend some time with, uh, but you will really learn a lot from having done so. Again, five out of five. I highly recommend both of these books. Um, they are both available through Amazon, although admittedly the first one I got, which I believe was the second, I bought the 1890 to 1970 book. I got it on a huge sale. And unfortunately now that was several weeks ago, maybe even a couple of months ago. I don't remember what website it was, was having a huge sale and I got it for like three or four dollars. And then I fell so in love with it. I went on to Amazon and I found the other one and I paid the regular Amazon price for it. They're both well worth whatever price you'd have to pay for them. Excellent, excellent resources. So again, five out of five. And those two books are America's Printed Fabric 1770 to 1890 and Making History Quilts and Fabric from 1890 to 1970. And both are by Barbara Brackman. And as always, I will put the links on the show notes to this episode. I'm going to throw one last book review in here that has absolutely nothing to do with quilting whatsoever, but a lot of us who quilt also cook, and some of us actually enjoy it. So I thought I'd uh, give a very quick review of a cookbook I just recently bought. Um, My husband and I, as I've mentioned before, we spend 
every anniversary weekend, we go up to um, Niagara-on-the-Lake, which is in Canada, just across the border from Buffalo. Beautiful, beautiful area. And um, depending on which weekend we we actually end up there, sometimes we end up up there on um, Canadian Thanksgiving, which is in October. And whenever that happens, there's a crafts festival that's about, oh, maybe an hour-ish drive, I think, in a in a wonderful park with the unfortunate name of Balls Falls, <laughs> which is kind of a silly name, but it's a really nice little park. And lots of hiking trails, wooded area, very, very pretty with falls, of course. And um, the, the craft festival there, we like to try to go. It's fairly small, but I will say it's gotten a lot bigger in the years we've been going. Um, and then what we love to do is stop at this wonderful place for lunch. And the, the place is called Inn on the Twenty, and it's in the village of Jordan. And it's a beautiful, beautiful restaurant. It is actually an inn, but the, the restaurant is the main thing. And it's just got these huge picture windows that look out over the gorge, over the um, where the river goes through. And all you can see are the trees. And in October, it's gorgeous colors. And the food in the restaurant is absolutely wonderful. And we've been outside all day, sometimes kind of a little bit nippy in the air. This year it was like 80 degrees, so go figure. But, um, you know, so going into the restaurant and relaxing and having this wonderful meal is a very, very special treat for us. And boy, they do a Thanksgiving themed um, meal beautifully, you know, the turkey and the potatoes and the cranberries. So for us uh, U.S. folks, it's our Thanksgiving before Thanksgiving. Um, But this year when we were there, I found that they had published a cookbook. So it's the In on the 20 cookbook. And I bought it. I didn't know how expensive it was. I just handed it to my husband and said, would you mind paying for this while I go to the bathroom? (laughs) And when I came back, he's kind of looking at me like this had better be worth it. But it really, truly is. I adore this cookbook. I've already made a cookbook, a couple of recipes out of it. It's wonderful. And you need to know, I'm not particularly a gourmet chef. I will take time with things if they warrant them, but generally speaking, the simpler the better. And I'm a bit of a purist, so I don't like 10,000 ingredients in my recipes. I like to keep it fairly simple. And the Inn on the 20, um, both in their restaurant and in this cookbook, what they really highlight is fresh local ingredients. They work with their local farmers. They work with the the local um, produce and meat and everything. It's all from that area of the country which means because I only live about three hours from there, it's also pretty local for me. So I can very easily get all of the ingredients they have in these recipes. And so, for example, um, the one that I just made recently is, uh, I'm turning to it now so I get the title right, it's Sweet Pepper Soup with Chervil Cream. Now, I did not use the Chervil, Chervil. I did not use that. Um, That's not an herb I'm particularly familiar with, but you can substitute mint, basil, lemon balm, or thyme. And I believe I chose basil. I think I made mine with basil. But it's basically uh, red red bell peppers that you dice up and then you do it with, it's the usual onion and celery and garlic. And then you put the red bell peppers in there. You use a Yukon gold potato, which basically all that does is give it a little body. Um, It has a little bit of white wine in there and chicken stock, fresh thyme, salt and pepper. And then towards, uh, at the very end, you put in a little bit of sour cream and then you put in your fresh herb. Oh my word, was that wonderful. I absolutely loved it, loved it, loved it. And I also did another recipe out of here that's, um, it's a roast chicken that you put lemon slices and something else, thyme, I think, maybe rosemary. I don't remember now. I'm not going to turn to the recipe. And um, boy, I'll tell you, that one was the most moist chicken I have ever, ever eaten. So the recipes in here are pretty simple to prepare, 
don't take a tremendous amount of time. Um, and they're all, again, for us in my part of the country, they're all local ingredients. Although, you know, everything I'm looking at, I'm figuring you can pretty much get all this stuff wherever you live. For us, they're local. I can actually, you know, get them. Local farmers work with our grocery stores and that kind of thing. This, I absolutely love this cookbook and I strongly recommend it. You can buy it through Amazon. And so I will put a link on um, the show notes to this episode. And if you get it and make one of the recipes, let me know because you might point out one that I hadn't tried yet and I might want to try it. And that's it for this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, for being in touch with me, you can email me at sandyquilts at gmail.com. That's Sandy with a Y, quilts with a Z. Uh, and that's pretty much my call name pretty much everywhere else at Pinterest and Goodreads and Twitter. Um, just look for Sandy Quilts with a Y and a Z and you'll probably find me. Uh, you can also join our Facebook page at Quilting for the Rest of Us and you can join the Big Tent Quiltcast Super Group and then join the Quilting for the Rest of Us group from there. And of course, our Flickr group and the Kiva team. And, ooh, my blog. I don't know. There's other things. So just uh, you can find all of those things in one fell swoop at www.quiltingfortherestofus.com. And so, folks, now, until next time, go get your quilty on. Quilting for the Rest of Us is dedicated to Shirley. Love you, Mom. Thank you.